A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Martina Ivanichova, who's a data intelligence engineering manager at the travel services company Kiwi.com. Here are some key takeaways or thoughts from Martina's point of view. Number one, the most important and possibly one of the most difficult aspects of a data mesh implementation is, quote unquote, triggering organizational change. It's going to be hard to really get the ball rolling and really get the organization in line with moving forward on this. Uh, Number two, driving buy-in for something like Data Mesh is obviously not easy. As you are getting started, look to leverage one-on-one conversations to really share what you are trying to do and why and how this can impact them and the organization. These one-on-one conversations are crucial to developing your early momentum around a data mesh implementation. Number three, on driving buy-in for data mesh, really think about how to limit incremental cognitive load as much as possible on the developers or software engineers. If you can keep cognitive load low, you are much more likely to succeed. Succeed in driving buy-in and succeed in delivering value as well. Number four, When sharing internally about data mesh, it's important to focus on what it means to the other person. Using the actual phrase of data mesh can lead to a lot of confusion for people not on the data team, right? If people aren't really familiar with data and they start to really dig into a read up on data mesh, it's pretty easy to get lost in, in that if you don't have the background and experience around it. 
even if you do for a lot of folks out there, right? So make it clear what you are trying to accomplish, the what, the why, and the how. Using data as a product as the leading concept resonated and worked well inside Kiwi.com for Martina and her team. Number five, Kiwi.com started driving buy-in by working with engineering upper management, then found a few valuable and achievable first use cases to move forward. And they have kept the incremental cognitive load low on the engineering teams while those engineering teams learn how to deliver data as a product. I think it's important to really think about where you are trying to affect the change, right? You want to go to upper management whenever possible. That's what's going to be able to drive the change from top down. Number six, if possible, the easiest way to drive buy-in is by finding a use case that is beneficial to the producing domain. If not, then look to spend the one-on-one time to really share why this use case matters, why doing things in the the data as a product in the data mesh type way, why that matters, right? If you can find something that's beneficial to the producing domain, they're going to be much more likely to be uh, in line on doing this. Number seven, Kiwi.com is getting software engineers in domains to commit to simply sharing their data, not even really structuring it into data products. So the software engineers in most cases are really only focused on maintaining the high quality data sharing mechanisms. You know, you can read that as pipelines, but, but you know, it's you can talk all different things about exactly how they're actually doing that, but it, it doesn't really matter in this case. So that is a, a relatively low initial cognitive load, low workload ask, right? They aren't at the data as a product stage, but they're still seeing initial value from what they're doing. Number eight, analytics engineers are creating the data products from the source data to satisfy consumer needs. Martina and team want to move more to software engineers handling more of the data product creation management over time, but it's a process. They plan for the analytics engineers to upskill the software engineers by pairing with them closely, but right now it is the analytics engineers taking that data that I talked about earlier that was getting shared and creating the data products out of it themselves. Number nine, it might initially be more important to find a way to evaluate and iterate on what data is shared and how than it is getting to the most complex or valuable data product. You want to build the muscle around sharing data first before trying to go too big too soon. Number 10, it's important to know what you are trying to prove out in your initial data mesh related deployment. It's okay to prove out you can produce data products before proving out you can build out the full mesh. Number 11, a key success metric for a data mesh journey could be how many direct conversations and then actions come from data producers and consumers speaking without data engineering involvement. This is something Max Schulte kind of talked about as well. At Kiwi.com, These conversations are still usually driven by analytics engineers, but that might also change in the future, right? It it might be that you don't need the data engineering team or the analytics engineers for a lot of the conversations, and that's a good place to be in. And finally, number 12, data governance centralization didn't happen overnight. When you look to decentralize and federate your governance, you should look to be patient instead of trying for an overnight revolution in trying to go back or trying to go to a way that is decentralized and federated.
Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very excited for today's episode. I've got uh, Martina Ivanichova here, who's the Data Intelligence Engineering Manager at Kiwi.com. Um, we're going to cover a lot of different things. They uh, Kiwi is doing, you know, they're they're heading down the data mesh path, and they're kind of early in their journey. And we're going to talk about kind of how they're they're transitioning in, how they're working on driving some of the buy-in and sharing, you know, what they're planning to do internally, um, including the whole thing of uh, my unicorn farts principle that uh, they're using as well of not really calling it data mesh internally versus sharing people, what are they trying to do? Uh, you know, not not lead them down the confusion path. So um, I think we're going to cover a whole lot of ground and, and it'll be uh, a very interesting conversation. Martina, if you don't mind, before we jump in, if you could uh, give people a bit of background on yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Yeah, sure, Scott. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, so my name is Martina Ivanichova. Uh, I'm leading a data intelligence at Kiwi.com. Uh, Kiwi.com as a company um, in a travel business, uh, which helps um travelers around the globe to find itineraries. Uh, so we combine flights and, and other means of transport to find the best and cheapest option. And my journey, my professional career has always been somehow connected with data. Back in times, maybe even more than a decade ago, I was a um, database developer on Oracle. Then I was part of teams which were building data warehouse solutions in a classical legacy sense for uh, telecom companies and government agencies. And then I worked as a tech lead for full stack team in a smart buildings uh, segment uh, where we collected data from sensors and to visualize them. So really uh, my whole life, professional life has been somehow connected with data. Yeah, it's, uh, well, and it's it's funny the number of people that I talk to on that are, are driving data mesh things forward for their companies, it's kind of 50-50 or maybe 60-40 of people who've been in data for most of their careers or their whole career versus a lot of people coming from uh, kind of other backgrounds. And I think those perspectives are really helpful because you've you felt the pain of what's uh, that, that classical data warehouse <laughs> approach of as it was... Uh, becoming less and less uh, fun to be doing that. Um, so I, I think let's let's start from kind of the beginning about uh, Kiwi.com's uh, journey around heading towards data mesh, right? I know um, a lot of people think, oh, we're not that far down our journey. And it's kind of like, well, nobody is, right? <laughs> so let's talk about the reasons that you... Um, started to really think about data mesh. What were you considering and, and um, what led you to look for a new solution and, and maybe choose data mesh itself? 
so I will maybe connect it with what you said that the old classical warehouse solution might be painful. So it was painful in some sense, but back then, I many, many years ago, 10 and more, uh, the landscape was much simpler, I would say, at least in the warehouses uh, I was working with. If I compare it now to uh, Kiwi, the data landscape is much more complex because we have microservice architecture, we, we have um, multiple um, domains uh, which are organized around business capabilities. So literally we have several tens of databases. And apart from that, we are um, buying data uh, from external parties, the market about the market competitiveness. We are getting data about from social networks and other, other sources. And we combine all these data or try to combine all these data together. So the landscape as such is much more complex and this brings new pains. So that's why uh, this is something which was manifested in Kiwi when I came, this this landscape of one central team, which is trying to to take care of all the data pipelines, which is which is extracting and loading data from these multiple data sources, uh, as I just mentioned, to one single place. Uh, this the, there, there was number of like several hundreds of these data pipelines and uh, quite a big frustration uh, on the shoulders of the central team. So this was like the main motivation why we started to think about different approach and why my colleagues and me, we got inspired by Jamak's uh, blog post and some of us by her book. So did you, uh, I mean, you know, I think it's kind of interesting for a lot of people. Was it more you saw the data mesh approach and said, oh, wow, this could could help us? Or were you, because a lot of people were like, I'm trying to figure out what I could do. Like, how can we change this versus, oh, wow, this could could uh, solve what we're doing. It was there was there really or was it kind of difficult to say because it's always everybody's out there looking for something new. I think it was like the, the, the click of ideas because people somehow felt people in this data engineering teams they they somehow felt that producers should be responsible for the responsible for the data, and because they know they had the knowledge they should share. They should share intentionally. And we, when we saw it in Jamak's articles, really like similar thoughts, uh, it just clicked. And we wanted to, to go this, or try, at least to try to go this way. It's, it's funny because um, uh, so many people say, oh, the reason why Data Mesh was such a big thing for us, with, you know, Jamak's articles, were because it put down on paper, it combined all of the challenges we were seeing and where we wanted to head because it wasn't point solutions. It wasn't, okay, the producers just now own the data. Well, what is that? Do, you know, they, they don't know how to own the data. So uh, how do you enable them? And, uh, you know, there people had just been like, oh, we're just going to put producers owning the data and that's it versus, okay, when you do that, you have to also think about managing it as a product and you have to enable them with self-service and you have to, you know, stop making governance the this centralized function that becomes the bottleneck. You know, it, it's the interplay of the, the different uh, pillars. So 
it's funny that it's kind of that same thing of everybody in data was hoping somebody would come up with a better solution and, and that that would work and that it wasn't just a, a pipe dream. Yeah. So when I when when I heard the world data governance, I'm a bit scared always, always, because exactly as you said, I, I cannot imagine this being a central function in an organization which wants to scale. Because how can you actually, you know, ensure without understanding the data? And how can you understand the data if there are like so many different domains, so many do- different uh, business context- contexts? So I think this is really a crucial point. Uh, to decentralize the data and, and the context and centralize the platform tooling policies and so on. So this is the, the you know the, the the most amazing thing on the of the concept I see. Yeah, it's, uh, I think this is the thing where people misinterpret data mesh. I don't think you are. I think a lot of people misinterpret data mesh of okay, it means that it's doing decentralized data, therefore everything is decentralized. And exactly what you said of like, no, you centralize the capabilities. You don't centralize the things where you need actual context to make the decision, right? And you do centralize the capabilities to support those people, right? So if somebody does have a governance question, that is centralized, that you can go to a team that can help them with it to enable them, but that you put the, the decision-making in the hands of the people who actually understand enough to make the decisions. <laughs> and that, that's where I think it's difficult to say what exactly should be centralized and decentralized in every organization. But if you keep that, that picture in mind, I, I like what you're saying of so many people were like, oh, well, this is how we've done data governance. And it's like, yeah, but it doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> I don't care if that's how you've done it. it. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. So it it all sounds so so cool, right? But it's it's like far from happening. You you so it just just doesn't happen from day to day. So you just cannot wake up one day and say, "Come on, you are now decentralized, and we are now managing all of the platform." So I see this is like um, big road, which we step on, and we are trying to still go this path. And it brings a couple of challenges, many, many challenges. But I think what is important is to get the buy-in uh, as a very first thing. And so it's hard to get buy-in from people who n- never felt these pains, who are not like data engineers uh, and so on. So uh, it's it, I saw that it was really important to start explaining, to start to talk to uh, engineering managers, uh, other engineering teams to start to talking to product managers and explain like what is happening, uh, explain that let's try on some use case, let's try to go uh, this new way. Yeah, I, I think that's a great place to, to kind of head into of, of how are you driving buy-in? We talked about you know, if anybody listens to a number of episodes, I keep bringing up the the concept of unicorn farts, which is anytime you have, you're going to say data mesh, or you're going to put data mesh into your documentation, that's seen outside of the, um, 
the data the data team or or kind of the people who are working very closely with the data team they're like i i've had a, a couple of people on that are like oh i'm the data enablement tribe lead but not in the data team that they're embedded in the business but they're part of the data team but everybody else i say call it unicorn farts because then you won't call it to anything you'll remove that because mm-hmm. you won't actually say that because it's really stupid to say that but like I would love to hear about how you're driving that buy-in because you are going to the engineering teams and saying, we want you to, to do to take on extra responsibilities, extra capabilities. Is that we're going to give you more resources? Or like I would love to to maybe walk through a couple of the different ways that you've had that conversation and gotten to a at least okay outcome, if not a perfect outcome. Yeah. So um there were like a couple of things which we did in parallel. So one thing was like um, we tried to get the buying from <clears throat> upper management, uh, from engineering VPs and so on. Then uh, we tried to came up with like one or two real use cases. For example, in our context, uh, if you go to kv.com and you search for uh, some flights, uh, you get a couple of itineraries and these are represented by so-called deep links. And we build a model around those deep links. We, 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 we promised that let's put these uh, data together and let's make a product of uh, which, is, which is based on these deep links where you can monitor your conversion rate and pay out to partners. And like th- we just defined one or two uh, data products like this, which we want to build on top of um, domain data. And then when we got the buying uh, from from leads, then uh, we tried to approach, or I tried to approach uh, product managers and also team leads of which team explaining how cool it will be if we had this and uh, slowly trying to get to their backlogs uh, some 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 um, capacity to to work on it on this uh, together with us what shows to be super crucial i think people might think that this is implicit but what is super crucial is to make the cognitive load uh really low like as simple as possible so to build such a tooling that to share uh, data is super simple even for people who are not data engineers who who maybe know the same uh codes the same stack as you are using but that they don't need some deep knowledge when they want to share data. So we somehow set our dream job or dream timeline that you should be able to teach someone uh, to share your first data, uh, domain data in two or three days. And I think, so I want to dig into a couple of aspects of that, but I think what you're saying there. Is, is a trend that I'm seeing, especially in some of the more startup-y and kind of not massive companies that are doing data mesh, right? You know, there are a lot of companies that are in the, I'm not sure, I can't remember how large Kiwi.com is, but um, there are, you know, a lot of companies in the 50,000, 100,000 people 
type of, of companies. Um, but the ones that are um, in the 500 to, to, to 10,000 range, a lot are kind of starting with, hey, we're going to work on finding these small, smaller use cases or these easier, lower friction use cases, because we're trying to get towards sharing data and we need to get people used to sharing data and we need to learn what people don't know about sharing data, like what explicitly they don't get. And so we're going to start with um, lower complexity initial use cases because we don't have to go in and do this super complicated data modeling with them where they have to under, you know, where we have to train them for multiple weeks and where we have to build very complicated tooling. We want to get to a place where they can share data and then we can work with them to evolve what they're sharing to add additional value, but that we can get them to a place where, where they can, that like you've got small wins quickly and you build that momentum because then people get the positive feedback and you're, you're driving that. So is that kind of how, how you're, you're looking at it? No, that, that's, that's, that was our thinking that you, we have to start somewhere and demonstrate the value. Uh, otherwise, like yeah, maybe if you're a big company, then that's it might be easier uh, to to get the buy into yeah here let's go do it do the new thing you have two years to finish it and uh, for these two years nothing else will happen but if you're really like a company of several hundreds uh, engineers uh, no like it's not expected that you just stop your business so it has to go continually and bring value continually this is what i believe and also as we go we can like validate the approach so like do the full full cycle and reflect on uh, what we did wrong what we should improve so really um that, that this this seemed to me really important to start with uh, some some pra- practical use cases and so when people are kind of heading down their data mesh journey, there are kind of a couple of things that people prove out earlier or look to prove out early. Um, some people look to prove out that this single data set itself is valuable, which I think is a, a step that that sets you in the wrong direction, right? Because you're proving out your your minimum viable, whatever you're proving out, your proof of value is that the data set itself is valuable versus we're proving out that we can create data products that are valuable versus we're, we're proving out that we can create a data mesh. And a lot of people don't have the luxury of proving out that they can create the data mesh versus like, hey, we can get people to a place where they can actually create something that is viable from an ongoing perspective, right? It's not a data set that is valuable today, but starts to <laughs> decompose very quickly. What What were you thinking there? It sounds, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounded like you were more trying to prove out the data products while you're, you're building out the capability to scale out the mesh. But the first thing you needed to do was prove out Hey, we can make these products and that they can have value. Um, and then we'll start to further expand our mesh capabilities. Is that where, where it kind of fell in, in your 
your uh, approach? Um, yeah, it, it, it goes in this direction. And uh, really, what you said, Scott, is really important. And I have also, like, I'm trying to wrap my ha- head around this. Uh, how do you prove that the product, is is it product or not? Is it already a product? Does it already has a value? Uh, is it not just, like, native data? Where the boundary actually lies? So this is really um important thing uh, and I don't have a proper answer on this but we are at this stage I'm happy at least with the fact that we brought like producers and consumers together so that um, we approached the engineering teams and said that this data are needed because if we combine them with the other domain data, we can build this and this. And that we like triggered this discussion and the engineering teams are deliberately exposing some data and they are thinking what they expose and they are bringing like semantic meaning to this. Even this brings like super crucial value, I think, that you can rely that someone deliberately exposed some of their data and described it in a like broader business context to it. Like I would put it like this. The actual product I would envision as a dream state is that we will also bring together analytics engineers and embed them more closely to the domain. So we will be able to share that the aggregated data models will be part of that domain data product. This is like how, where I would like to go in the near future. And I mean, there's so many different places to to go in there, but I think what you just said is, is you're changing the way that the producers are thinking about their, what they've got. Right, mm-hmm. that that you're 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 getting them bought into that art of the possible of, well, what like, this is something that it's it's you're further along than a lot of people even that I talk to that are multiple years in because they're still trying to get the a lot of the engineering teams to really think about well what else could I add to this like not just what 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 is the specific ask, but what more could I add to this? And then you're, you're getting them to exchange their context with the, with the consumers and say, well, if we did add this, would this add more value or what would this do? And, and that, that they're really starting to say, and, and that if they're taking on the ownership of, Hey, we've seen this change, right? We're not changing the data product right now, but I want to share with you that the information embedded has changed slightly. And so, like, how do you start to to share that kind of semantic drift, even though the the schema and the model hasn't changed and all of that, and that it's it's really difficult. But yeah, I, I just I love what you're talking about. You're 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 probably further along than than you probably think. Um, I think that's the case for everybody. I think everybody's very early days and very quite immature with their data mesh implementation. But it's great that you're seeing initial value. Yeah, I like what you meant about semantic drift, because this is something which yeah, I really think a lot um, in past month 
And I also liked one of the episodes of the Data Mesh podcast uh, when um, I think it was uh, from the co- with the guest who was co-author of the Great Expectations, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, this this is important how we actually define the contract between consumers and producers, and when we schema changes are not so difficult. We also started here in Kiwi by building a tool which notifies you about schema changes, which is integrated in each Git repo and like sends like notifications and uh, downstream consumers can subscribe of uh, intended to intended changes. But the semantic drift is something which really, we don't have a good solution to this yet. And we we saw it ca- happening a couple of times, and we see the burden uh, or mess which happened when we didn't detect it uh, in a timely manner. And one way to prevent it is like this, I would say, organizational aspect that someone deliberately shares the data and they are aware that someone else is doing something with that data, which was there not before, because if we if you had just a central team which is pulling data from many, many databases and the actual database owners are not aware of it, um, that this just doesn't happen, that communication. So one way how to prevent it, I see in this organizational le- level, but the other way, like more technical means how to really set the contract is something I would like to uh, figure out. Yeah, well, and, and when you said uh, at first when you were saying uh, we, we don't have a good solution to this, I didn't know if you were talking about Kiwi.com or the industry. And it sounded like you were talking about Kiwi.com. But what I would tell you is the answer is the industry doesn't, right? Like it's not that you're behind. It's not that you're missing anything. The more that I dug into this this data contracts concept, the more it's just like, yeah, nobody really knows how to do this semantic drift. I'm, I'm uh, hopefully going to have somebody on relatively soon from um, the ML world um, who's going to talk about drift in, in general as a concept mm-hmm. within ML, and that how can we start to think about drift, you know, and and it's model drift and things like that. But how can we start to get people to think about? something has changed. How can we get people to to understand who is consuming what and that you do have that regular check-in of, and if you see something, say something, right? Like, hey, there's something that's kind of interesting. Uh, an episode that, that uh, very recently released was with um, Andrew Padilla, and we were talking about the experiences of the organization right? Like the way that we, what we're really sharing is, is information about what is happening with the organization ex- itself. What are the experiences? What, how is it interacting with the real world? So we're always going to have to kind of put that into data in a certain way. And so you always kind of have to abstract it, but we can get better about detecting when things have changed and we can get better about, okay, it, it was this a blip or was this not, you know, people think about, um, a, a big one. I used to, uh, work in, in uh, tech space and we, we tracked monthly revenues for Taiwanese companies. And depending on when the Chinese new year fell, it would either be in, uh, late January and some of February or all of February. So 
depending on when that fell, it could really, really, if it, if, you know, it had been in only February for two or three straight years, and then it fell in, you know, half January, half February, that January would look terrible. And so it would be like the year over year comparisons are looking like this is going to be a really weak year. It's going to look really terrible versus like, hey, folks, the numbers say this, but the reality of the world says this. Right. And I think that that kind of thing of, hey, I know that this number is coming through like our sales yesterday look like they were insane, but it's because um, there was a time zone change. So we had an extra hour for this, you know, specific set of of information. You know, if you're not working on UTC, I, I do think everyone should work on just UTC. But that's that's my own personal thing. But you know, you say what were our sales yesterday, and uh, you know, on those days when there's um, an extra hour or there's an hour fewer, and all of a sudden it's like our sales were down, you know, five percent. It's like yeah, because we only had twenty three hours instead of twenty four, or. You know, all of those little things of if you see something, say something. It's it, that communication. We haven't had that with data. So, sorry, I just get very excited about this. <laughs> yeah. So just to add to this, like we are like patching it maybe by trying to set some DQ checks. But uh, even this is something I think which industry requires better solution as such. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, Chris Riccomini talked about with the schema changes that they they literally had a CI/CD system that even before somebody could propose to commit a change, it would go through and say, no, this breaks the downstream. But like, can we have that as well in where, I mean, if, if we produce the own, if we push the ownership to the producers, hopefully they'll know when those changes are happening so they won't make those changes, you know, without... Uh, letting people downstream, but you know, sometimes you don't really know that people are consuming, even if you've got this kind of product aspect. So, I think we do really, really need to get better at that. Um, so, uh, I did want to circle back to something because you you have been successful in driving buy-in. Most people aren't. So I wanted to dig into a little bit or a lot of people, that's where they're getting blocked is to find uh, getting domains on board. You talked about that you um, found very good use cases. Like, how did you find those use cases? Is it that that you're not going to the ones where there's necessarily going to be the most value, but you found the ones where there's value and they're willing or like, how did you do that? You talked about driving the buy-in at the highest level. Like you've learned a lot. You might not think that what you've learned is, is extremely broadly applicable, but I'm sure it is. Like if you can tell people about what you've learned and what might be some advice to, to try some things, I think that could be really, really helpful to people. So First of all, we are not on a green field. Maybe this would be much easier, but we are on a brown field. And uh, just to maybe a bit of context, uh, luckily there are data engineers building the data models, uh, which which was like set up when we when we started with this. So with the which is like thought about what is the next requirement and we 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 which we 
new, it's needed, or it allows like combining data like from different domains. Really, that like we took from the backlog something which what was already there and said, let's do it in the new way, and we will enable this and this, and we will prevent these pain points which uh, are from past. And really, the success lies in talking to people, talking to people one-on-one, explaining what we are doing. Um, Important is to really... I, I saw this was important to really create one one pager where you try to explain your thoughts on one one A4 and like crucial points, like not really saying like this is the data mesh concept and so on and so on. You can like we just like mention some of the most important thoughts. So people doesn't don't need to read and blogs and books just really like highlight why, what and why and how we are trying to achieve. And I, I like use this one pager a lot, like sharing it whenever someone, some question pops up on Slack. And apart from that, as I said, like crucial is one-on-one um, talks with individual stakeholders, whoever it is, either engineering leads or product managers or analytics engineers um, and so on. So really one-on-one. I think Max Schultze talked about this in his episode too of to start, like if you're trying to scale and you're trying to really take this very, very wide, one-on-one conversations don't scale, right? They just don't. But to start your initial momentum, you know, Newton's second law of motion, those things that are at rest, uh, at rest tend to stay at rest. And those things that are in motion tend to stay in motion. To move from at rest to in motion, you have to, to put in a little bit more effort. You have to do those one-on-one conversations to build the momentum. And then you can build out more um, on that one pager, right? I'm, I'm assuming... Uh, just unless you're you're the person with the most brilliant foresight in in communication and data mesh and everything, that that one pager has evolved, right? That you've you've changed what's been in there. You've changed when people are saying, "Oh, I, what what about this thing?" or "I don't get this" or whatever. That you've evolved that considerably. Um, it you know even if it isn't in English, but especially if it, if that one pager is in English if you'd be willing to share that with folks, like, so other people can, can look at how that's, that's being shared, I think could be really helpful because so many people are confused about how to, to have these conversations. But I think a lot of what you're saying is extract their context, extract what's where, instead of selling, you're like, what, what's, what are we actually trying to do here? Why does this matter to you? what is expected of you. So we're not saying we expect you to to deliver the world, but like, we're going to work with you. We're going to give you the support. Like, is there anything that's, that's kind of stuck out in those conversations too? When you say that the weather at one page evolved, so the title evolved. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, the text evolved as well, but the title really evolved because really we realized that the, when you start the conversation and you mention data mesh, it's like just, you know, buzzword. And as you said, unicorn farts. So, but what people understand, what I observe that people really understand is uh, saying data as a product. 
because product is something almost everybody can relate to that. Okay, it has a responsible, let's say, uh, product owner, uh, someone cares whether customers are satisfied, someone cares how much effort is, it costs to uh, to produce a product. So really, if we talk about data as product, this is what people can easily get. Yeah, and I think uh, there was somebody who posted on LinkedIn recently about we should just stop using the phrase data mesh and just start calling it data as a product. And and I, I fully disagree when it comes to talking to the data people. But when you're talking to the non-data people, I think that's exactly the point of like when you are talking to them, what does it matter to them? Uh, you know, there were people who were saying, Yo, oh, it's it's very disrespectful to somebody to not tell them that you're doing data mesh. And it's like, most of the people don't care. And if they really do want to dig into it, they'll figure out that, that you're doing data mesh and you're not like hiding it. But like you, you say, hey, we're, we're taking this new approach and, and what we're going to do is is data as a product. But like most of the people don't care that you're doing data mesh. And it is very easy if you say we're doing data mesh, if that's your selling you're going to fail because most people are going to get very confused. You know, I, I use DuckDuckGo as my search engine. And when I type in data mesh, the first, like, I think Jamak's uh, article, I think it's not even her first one. I think it's her second one on Martin Fowler is like the seventh result. And the first six are all vendor crap. Like, and mm. they're all not correct, not appropriate things. And so, um, I think that that it's so easy to head people down the right, wrong direction by trying to be like, this is what we're doing versus this is what matters, right? Like, and it's good that that you're you're having that same thing. I, I know a lot of data people want to share like all the really interesting aspects of data mesh, but I don't think people really care about. And this is the way we're federating governance versus, hey, we're giving you control. We're going to make it so that you can make the decisions and that you don't have these bottlenecks and that we trust you. Yeah. And and, as, as, and even so, without, within data people, um, I'm still actually hesitant in my context to, to call it data mesh. Are we really doing data mesh? Because are we covering all the ideas uh, Oshamak brought up like... Uh, you know, you have to have instant. Oh no, that you have incentives. Uh, you have like immutability. That data should be bitemporal. So there are like so many concepts that we should like wrap our head around. And the tooling, uh, we we don't have it. At least we don't have it. So. As you know, still uh, sometimes I just okay. Can we call it data mesh or can we call it just data as products? Can, are we actually allowed to call it data mesh? You're, well, I think that self reflection means that you are on the data mesh journey, right? And that it's like when when is a data mesh a data mesh, right? Like when is a, a person an adult? Do you say that it's when they hit, you know, a specific age or when they've matured to a certain level. And so it's like, when is a data mesh a data mesh? Well, if you're on the journey and you're like really focused on that, I think it's okay to say we're, we're working towards data mesh, right? And that it's, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. I, I, 
I don't really care. One thing that that a lot of people expect of me is that um, I'm really, really bought in that data mesh is the way. And I'm like, I'm bought in that we should really, really evaluate if it is the way. It, it, it deserves us to really put it through its paces to really consider this. But it might emerge that there's some big holes in it or that there's other ways to um, approach this that works better. And that the more that we can get people sharing information, the more that we can iterate towards what works best. And that it doesn't really matter at the end of the day if if you're doing data mesh or if you're not if you're delivering business value, right? Like if you're doing the right things for the business, that's what matters versus, you know, this uh, ultra pure of, of is this data mesh or not? What I don't like is when people jump in and say, oh, I'm going to completely change the data mesh concept for my own purposes and still just call it data mesh. But I think people on the journey like yourself, it doesn't matter, right? Like it's it's not a big deal if you're like, well, we we haven't put bi-temporality in, into every data product, especially because you said the the tooling, you don't have the tooling. The tooling isn't there. Schmack has said this multiple times. The tooling really needs to evolve. And vendors are still just trying to sell you what they've got and say, oh, but it's data mesh versus like, no, we're, we've got to re we've got to rethink the way that everything should work together, so we can we can head down this direction. Sorry, it's just it, th- this is a, a big passion thing for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so these are my doubts. But on the other hand, when I can highlight when I really felt happy was when I saw that things are now, and I saw that things are happening without data engineering inter, uh, intervention. I would say. So it really happened that product manager came up with an idea. We should, uh, I'm interested in the uh, data about uh, like how many times the ancillary price changes. And it just put together like he approached analytics engineer and software engineer and they just like did it together. So the, so the software engineer from their respective domains was able to expose the additional data analytics engineer was able to build uh, the desired um, output on top of it. So uh, really, when things start happening within domains is when I uh, have a really good feeling. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's an important success point of um, part of what we're trying to do is extract the data engineer from being, you know, playing telephone and being involved in everything. And uh, I bring it up quite a bit, but like the office space thing, I don't know if you've ever seen office space, but there's a guy who's describing his job and he's like, I take the requirements from the en- from the customers and bring them to the, or the product or whatever, to the engineering. And it's like, so, but do you actually take the actual physical paper? Well, sometimes my, you know, sometimes when my assistant isn't there, but like, that's kind of what it can feel like for the data engineering people of like, I'm, you know, not quite as, as not in the, the useless sense, but that like, you're constantly in the middle of a conversation when if you can extract yourself from that and get the people who, you know, instead of trying to translate from the, uh, consumer wants to then into what that would mean from data and then translate that to the producer wants. If you can get the producers to a place where they can share that and and where the consumers can talk the producer's language as well, and that it's easy to 
put something out there and test it and and that you have that um change in culture from this is data therefore it is right and therefore it will never change versus like hey let's talk about what your needs are let's talk about meeting your needs instead of i'm going to put this thing out and can't change it and evolve it i, I think that's you're 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 sparking again like these these uh the the positive happy feelings of somebody who's being successful even though even though it's early right like we we've talked about that you're still early so um I, I wanted to dig into exactly the actual machinations like how the the data products are created because you mentioned analytics engineers some people for them they're thinking analytics engineers are data engineers and things like that so like what are you seeing? Who who is producing the the data products? Who's developing them? Is it that it's the data engineering people originally, and then you hand it over to the analytics engineer? The analytics engineers are building the um, downstream data products from source aligned data product. Like, just would would love to understand kind of how people are playing in this in this world in this space. Yeah, that, that, that one of the toughest thing uh, in QA is to explain to everybody that um, data engineers are not doing anything with data <laughs> uh, because they are data platform engineers. Uh, so another role which we have are uh, analytics engineers who um, really um, take source learned data and uh, build um, data models uh, on top of them, um, which are like, that there is like some t- transformation calculation and uh, happening and uh, this this role is something which is quite crucial it was even it was very crucial before we started with this wall data mesh idea because the the out, outcome is outcome is or output sorry output is something which can be used in a self-service way so really you can you as an end user can uh, can come and use uh, the, the 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 data product prepared by analytics engineers. So, what we are currently the stage we are currently at is that we have buying from some of the software engineering teams. They are sharing source aligned data, and and then analytic engineers they come in the game and uh they they the mod they they put additional layer either they are like some aggregated data models or data you data needed for some particular use case but they like put additional layer on top of it what i see as a like this is my mission for upcoming month is like inject more they, they are actually embedded some of them in the domains already but to inject more of these analytics engineers in those domains so this becomes one thing like really like software engineers and analytics engineers working together not just like i exposed my source learned data and you came and took it and did the next step no really uh this has to be like one tandem (laughs) working on the same thing. Yeah, because it sounds like what you're saying is that the um, the producers are committing to sharing data, but not actually their data as the product, right? They're, 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 they're sharing that information, then the engineer actually shapes it into the product so it can be consumed. 
and that you want to move more and more so that the software engineers can be partnered with them and paired with them. I think this is a a, a common issue of, you know, I, I did um, a community meetup literally around who should be your your data product developers, because if you just say, oh, the software engineer should, do they really understand how to model data, how to share it, like what people want, all of that thing. So you start with kind of very uncomplex, uncomplicated um, data products. So they get used to sharing, but is there really that, that concept of I'm going to build something that I know people want? Like, can they really understand what data consumers want? which is what the analytics engineers are translating for them. But like, how do you train the software engineers more and more? Because the analytics engineers, even if they're embedded, they're, they're obviously very intelligent, but so much of the context around what's going on is in the software engineers' heads. So how do you, how do you translate it that into a product? It's difficult. Uh, yeah, it's difficult. Like, for the most simple things, we already saw that the software engineer was able to go the world path, really, that the, the analytics engineer was not needed and the outcome was really like a usable product, uh, accessible by, by anybody in the organization and usable. Um, but for more complex things, I, I don't have this uh, figure out to be really honest. Like, and this is my, yeah, this is something which is on my radar. And there's an episode that hasn't come out yet, but uh, that is coming out relatively soon with some uh, folks from uh, Le Bon Coin in France. And they were talking about this same challenge of like, how do we train the software engineers to do this? There isn't anything out there. There is literally, I, I haven't found any content around how do you make it so software engineers can really start to understand data and that they can, you know, it's it's kind of this thing I've talked about where software engineers can't share their, their data as a product in, in a lot of instances because they don't understand what data consumers want. So they can't even empathize with, oh, this change is going to break things downstream because they can't know about it. So now we can start to share them the information about, hey, here's what's being consumed downstream. But like the why and the how and how could I make what they're consuming better and easier? I haven't seen anybody who's concretely talked about this. I'm sure people have figured it out somewhat behind closed doors, but nobody's sharing it. Nobody is really, you know, and, and maybe they think that it's their crown jewels, but a lot of cases people are just like, well, we don't have we don't have it fully figured out, so we can't share yet. It's like, no, 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 you absolutely, you absolutely can share. You don't have it all figured out. If like a lot of what you're saying, even just the, the stuff around what you're doing to drive buy-in, that's going to be super helpful, even though you're like, well, we haven't figured out for every domain and we haven't figured out exactly how to, like where you are, you've, you've progressed a lot further probably than, than you, you would have thought coming into this conversation compared to where everybody else is. You're, you're a lot more mature than I would say than uh, a lot of people in, in, on this journey, even where you are, even though it feels that you're early in it. So I think a lot of what you're saying is you're reflecting back what other people are feeling. You're, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. I think we should be happy at least from the baby steps. Because like at this stage, the success is already if the software engineer thinks about the data and and puts the 
really meaningful description to the shared data and event and and even maybe thinks about like um reshaping it a bit I mean a small transformation like something which is the normalized uh, to, to normalize there are really like small things uh baby steps as something we should we are we, I am happy personally to to see that we, we should aim for this this bigger alignment and uh, yeah let's let's see how it goes in a year or two but but that continuous incremental value, um, uh, Carolina Hensel in her episode was the first person that I, I at least noticed saying this, but like, and I've been uh, saying it more and more of, of big bang approaches and data don't work, right? They, they don't work for many, many reasons, especially because the sources are constantly changing as you're trying to, to set up this big bang. So everything just keeps shifting and, and all of that. So you're you're delivering good value already, and so that just builds your momentum, right? And it, it builds you being able to go back, or like from an incentivization standpoint, when you do have domains that are um, successfully sharing this data, is it that they're typically the consumers of their own data, or is it other people are consumers? Because that incentivization is is tough, like getting people bought in you know, not just this, this benefits the organization. How does it benefit them? Because people are kind of inherently selfish. <laughs> so absolutely easiest is when that the domain is directly consuming the data. So because then you have like really strong motivation. Uh, but this is often not the case. Usually, you know, data from a couple of domains are consumed and the end consumer is sometimes someone who is even out of R&D organization. So I don't know, maybe in finance department, revenue management and so on. So this is really, really hard to tell, you know, one one group of people let's do it and someone else will benefit that, that the buying, you know, is not so strong as if they can uh, directly uh, benefit from it. But and but the biggest uh, the, the huge question mark I had and and I I think I got it wrongly from the beginning was like what to do with the data which are actually from outside and how to how to find owner for for them and I I I had one specific case where I I thought that there is a specific engineering team which is closest to the nature of that data and they should own it. And I, I I failed to to pursue them that this is their thing they they their data product, and that th- this is something where I see for example that um, I was successful to pursuing per- persuading consumers to take ownership of those data, but it it took me some time to actually figure out like who should own the data. That that's I mean. Data hasn't really been owned historically. It's been like maybe that the data team has owned the actual technical ownership, but nobody's owned the concepts. And so like, like how, and then trying to shift that off of the data team, they're like, well, shouldn't the data team just own this? And it's like, no, because you actually own the concept. You understand what this is. The data team can't understand the concept of, of exactly what's all changing, you know, so yeah, and and I wish we could all have the financial services model where literally um, the teams just literally pay each other, 
right? Like that, that's, that's how they, instead of like, okay, we're going to work with you to make sure you have the resources to No, they literally just transfer money to and from each other within the company. It's kind of crazy, but it works. Yeah. 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 That, that I can imagine that actually. It, it just makes it clean. It's, it, it makes it a little bit more uh mercenary style of just, just all about the money. But, um, so, I mean, we've covered a whole lot of different things. There was one thing that you, you touched on a little bit earlier that I think would be a good kind of wrapping up point, which would be around the tooling, right? Like you were the, the data platform lead, uh, before this, this current role. So like, um, right now we don't have the tooling, like what, what tooling do you think is missing or what, how have you evolved your stack? If, if people are, so many people think of the tangible side of data mesh of, okay, I'm just going to focus on the architecture and the tooling. So like, what advice could you give those people? And, and what, what's been like helpful for you thus far? So we just used what we had. Um, if I can like really bring it to, to particle stack, um, we are running on GCP and we just said that to domain teams like use PubSub to stream your data. Um, then consumers like can can subscribe or we can then publish them to BigQuery uh, from PubSub and then they will be available in a like yeah SQL interface uh, for like other use cases for those teams which they they didn't want to like stream their data they had some like maybe technical uh ob- yeah, they just their technical issues or they didn't really feel fit their application uh we told them to use apache airflow to uh to to do um yeah, expose data um, as a BigQuery table, basically. Uh, so, so to like extract them from source system, do some small transformation, exclude data which are not needed, like write a DAG which publishes the data to uh, either BigQuery or GCS bucket. Mm, and we are trying to use the tooling which we have. So Google Data Catalog, where you can um, find the described data sets and you can see how much time the data set is actually a particular data table. So it's, uh, it's accessed and uh, and so on. So we are trying to persuade everybody to, to stream data uh, because that it, it allows for like multiple protocol or types of um, uh, like ports, how, how, you, how you can access. But if this just doesn't go, we are also fine with the, like um, just other approach. Yeah, and, and well, and what of the tooling is that you um, are you thinking that you're missing? Right, you you talked about you don't have bi-temporality right now. You can you can do that somewhat in the source, but it's also difficult. Like um, doing time series data in general, there aren't good. Uh, there are a few databases that try to do it and it's still very difficult and, and things like that. So is there anything where right now you think that is the, the biggest gap out there that you haven't seen a good solution for, even though you're, you're using what you've used, so you haven't gone out and really tried to find a bunch of new things, but is there stuff where you're like, if we had this, we would buy it, but there's not anything out there? Mm, 
Yeah, I mean, like a lot of tooling, <laughs> really, as, as we just discussed, like there's um, something which will like do this feedback loop and point us to uh, not use data products, so they will, which are not incentivized, which will be then decommissioned or not put so much effort in um, further development, or uh, also there's a like unified layer where you can uh, approach, uh, like you can get access to the same data product, but using different ways of approach, uh, different ways of querying or like consuming those data. So yeah, I think we are missing like completely a lot of stuff. And this is the reason why I'm still so hesitant, like saying what we're actually doing. Well, and, and that I think that if there was somebody to do a unified data marketplace, as well as additional um, complex uh, interaction points, right, for the data scientists and things like that, but that where everybody, where you can do, give people feedback about a product, but that's also the owners can see a lot of very clear specifications or very clear metrics around what's being used and that there's one thing that also um, the uh, people at ABN AMRO are talking about that they've got this integration layer um, that it uh, or it's it's the data integration and access layer, mm-hmm. and they it makes it so that you can actually combine data from multiple data products within the marketplace in an easy way, and so um, I, I think that's something that a lot of people really need much more of because it would just make things so much easier right? <laughs> that you don't have to do custom integration and things like that. So, um, well, again, uh, Martina, this has been so phenomenal. This has been a, a great conversation. We covered a whole lot. Uh, is there anything we didn't cover that you, you think we should have, or is there any way that you'd kind of want to um, wrap up the episode and kind of everything that we talked about? Um, the buy-in is the most important thing, <laughs> or the you know the 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 triggering the organizational change and 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 trying to to get the people understand the well concept or at least like give it a try to understand it. And uh, yeah, this is this is my my takeaway so far. I think, yeah, if you've got the momentum of people who are bought in, you can figure out ways to do it, right? You, you, it's, that's, that's super crucial. So um, uh, if pe- I'm sure there are going to be lots of people who would like to follow up with you. Is there, uh, where's the best place to do that? What would you like people following up with you about? Uh, so best place is probably LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn uh, so please contact me there. And I would love to talk to uh, any of you if you figure out, for example, the semantic drift question, which we discussed before, uh, or even uh, any other points which we touched, like how you do ensure immutability, how do you build this uh, integration layer, um, how do you how do you work with these incentives? Do you have incentives on the data product? So I would be happy to have a chat with you. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time today. And, and as well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Martina Ivanichova, the Data Intelligence Engineering Manager at Kiwi.com. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you.
Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. 